All right. Well, man, I am, I am so grateful for what God is doing in this place. So grateful for the leadership that we have. If you weren't here last night for our night of worship, you missed it. You, you did. You missed it. I, I didn't get to stay for the whole thing. I stayed for about an hour and 10 minutes of it. It was a sea of humanity up here. They had, I think he said, nine musicians. It was wall-to-wall anointing and talent. Uh, just, just incredible. It was just an incredible night. And uh, I told Pastor Josh, I kind of confessed this morning. I said, you know, I really did initially come with the mindset. This is going to sound terrible, but I, it, it's okay. I just tell the truth. I came with a mindset last night that I was going to come and support my, my pastor and be here for him, which is a good thing. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. And I found myself sitting about where he's at right now with my wife. And after a long week of just toil and work and fatigue and even some sickness, I just found the Spirit of God washing over us. And I'll tell you, man, sometimes you come into a place, I even prayed this before worship, sometimes you come into a place and you just do it because it's what you do. It's what your week looks like and it's what your schedule looks like. And then God just shows up and, and says, you know what, you need to get rid of all that preconceived notion of what's going to happen, and you just need, you need to let me be me. And uh, I want to pray that, I want to pray that that's what happens today with the message. We're talking about, we're talking about church culture and the kind of church that we want to see the church become. And we talk about culture from the perspective of us collectively as a whole, but what I'm going to talk about today is a part of the DNA that the body of Christ is supposed to have. It's, a, it, it, it's how I want this place to be, but it's on a wildly individualistic level that this has to happen in order for us to corporately be what I'm about to talk about today. And what I want to talk to you about today is I want, I want our church to have the type of culture, the type of, I want it to be the type of place that is incredibly forgiving, Everybody say forgiving. And I say that that's wildly individualistic uh, because it really is. We cannot create or have the kind of atmosphere that God wants us to have or the kind of culture that God wants us to have. If we have a ton of unforgiveness in our heart as individuals, it's going to morph into a body of believers that has a real problem with people making mistakes. How many people by show of hands in here has ever made a mistake in your life? All right. We generally, we generally are very, very thankful that God is a graceful, forgiving God. Are we not? It's one of the things I'm most thankful for is that he, is that he does not give up on me. And he really does not. He does not give up on me. I'm thankful that God is a God of second chances. And I didn't even say this in first service, but he's not even a God of second chances. He really isn't. Jesus' own disciples said to him, Master, if, if my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? Seven times? Which I think is a lot. Like, if somebody makes seven, if, most of us, if somebody messes with you seven times, by like time number six, you're, you, you've about blown them off at that point. Like, we're not doing this anymore. And so they came to Jesus, and they really thought they were, they were giving him an elevated number. If my brother sins against me, should I forgive him seven times? And Jesus says, no, no. You should forgive them seven times, multiplication, 70, 400, if you do the math, 490 times. So some of you still got a whole lot of opportunities to blow it, and God is going to be, a, I know that's a terrible, I'm just joking. He's not a God of second chances. He's a God of third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances, and I'm not going to go clear to 490, but, but he is a God of of really the whole, he's using hyperbole there for us to understand what Jesus is saying is, I don't give up on you. That's what he's saying. I don't give up on you. You're going to mess up. You're going to fall flat on your face. You're going to have moments in your life where you look back and you, that is not a highlight reel you want to have played in your life. And and you, you've, you've said things that you wish you could unsay. You've done things you wish you could undo. You've gone places you, could wish you, you wish you could ungo. You've acted in ways that you wish you could unact. And realistically, all of us have those things in our life. We all have those, those videotapes that are available in our life. And God is the God, not of second chances, third chances, fourth chances. He is a God that does not give up on us. Can I get an amen? amen. That's great. We love that about God. 
we love that he is a God of, of exponential chances. We love that he is a God that does not give up on us. And we love that he is a God that, is, that tells us to be slow to anger and slow to speak and, and quick to listen. So he's, he's wanting us to emulate his character. He's a God that satisfied his wrath on the cross at Calvary with Jesus. He's a God that, that's no longer just angry over what you've done, but he is madly, wildly in love with you. He is forgiving of your sins. He has covered them with the blood of his own son. He is a God of many, many chances. We love that God is, we kind of read the Old Testament, we see this angry side of God. Uh, and sometimes, sometimes I think we even watch our country and we're like, I want to see an Old Testament God show up for what's going on in our country right now. You know, there are spots in the Old Testament, God would just open up the ground and just swallow people. Just whole neighborhood. Gone. Gone. Didn't, didn't like them, gone. Didn't like the way they acted, gone. Some of us in here are like, well, if God destroyed the earth with the flood and that was because of the wickedness then, what's coming next? Listen, there is this Old Testament idea that God was, God, God was basically punishing them in real time for the things that they did. Jesus satisfies the wrath of God on the cross and, and, and justifies us through forgiveness and grace and he does this incredible work for us. I'm grateful that we don't live under the Old Testament, that we live under this new covenant, this new covenant of the blood of Jesus. And, and so I want to talk to you about this concept of, of anger and forgiveness because we all, we all love that God is a forgiving God. We love that his wrath was satisfied in Jesus on the, on the cross. But we're not so good at not being angry and being forgiving. And I want this to be a place where when you make a mistake, it is not the be-all and the end-all for you at Fusion Church Madison. I want this to be a place where when you mess up, we say, hey, you know what? We, we, we just learned a lesson, and we're going we're gonna to get better together. I want this to be a place where, you, where, where when you fall flat on your face, you have two or three brother, brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ that say, you know what? You're not walking through this alone. I'm going to pick you right up. We're going to walk with you. We're going to dust you off because, we're not, because if he's a God of, of third and fourth and fifth and sixth chances, then we're a church of third and fourth and fifth and 490 chances. We want to give you plenty of opportunity to fall forward. I also want you to be aggressive in ministry. You're going to make mistakes in ministry. I, I had coaches that would tell me that when I played football. We would rather you make an aggressive mistake than make a mistake of doing nothing. And I want people to try things and not be good at it. Sometimes you're going to. Sometimes you're going to, you're going to try something and be like, I'm not that good at that. You're only going to get better by trying. I want those kind of mistakes to be able to be made and you to have multiple chances. I want this to be a place where forgiveness rules the day. Where grace rules the day, where, where you know that this is a place of fresh starts. Now, before I get into talking about anger and forgiveness, I want to set the table by reading a part, a portion of one of the parables of Jesus, and we will get all the way through it, and you'll see where we're going with it after I'm to the end of the message. But I want to set you up with this so that you know where we're at, okay? So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 18, and I believe it's going to be right up there for you. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, again, Jesus talking, the words would be in red, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Could you imagine 10,000 bags of gold you owed somebody? What is it, sixteen, $1,800 an ounce? 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. He said, be patient with me. He begged, and he said, I'll pay everything back. And the servant's master took pity on him. Look at that word. And canceled. Ever say canceled. Canceled the debt and let him go. So Jesus is telling a parable. A man owes a ton of money, can't repay the debt begs for more time, and the master doesn't just say, I'm going to give you more time. He doesn't just tack on time to the back of the loan. He says, I'm canceling it completely. Some of you are like, I wish that would happen with my mortgage. Praise the Lord. <laughs> is that what that story is about? No, that's not what this story is about. So just hang in there with me. I'm going to get to what this story is about. It's powerful. It's a powerful, powerful story. But I want to talk to you about anger, and I want to talk to you about forgiveness. And some of us in here know people who are generally angry. Who are who almost have a an angry disposition. It's not that life has dealt them this 
un, uh, unholy set of cards. It's that they generally deal with things with anger and they deal with things in a, in a manner that that's not always the best way to deal with them. I've even met people who say, I'm just, a, I'm hot-headed or I have a hot temper, which is their way of saying, you know, I blow up a little bit. I get a little, I get a little angry. Me and the boys, we get a little angry, you know, and we, we do some stuff, you know, so people get a little, <laughs> hey, uh, uh, people, we know people that get angry like that. And we know people that kind of respond uh, when they get angry with, with anger. And, and we know people that have anger in their past. They've got hurt in their past and they've got things that are going on in their past. And so, they, and, and maybe we don't just know people that deal with anger. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's you. And maybe I'm going to be talking to you today and that's, that's okay. But I want to spend a minute identifying anger, but I want to spend the bulk of our time talking about anger's solution. And I believe, I believe that there are people that deal with anger and anger can turn into, if you don't deal with it, it can turn into grudges. Everybody say grudges. You'd be living in the middle of a grudge match called a marriage right now. I don't know. Uh, we can be, we can be dealing with grudges or, or it can turn into bitterness and bitterness can take root in your life. I, I've said this through the years and it's just, I just say it cause it rhymes, but it actually really is good. If you have a, if you find a root of bitterness in your life, bitter root produces bitter fruit. You're not going to be very effective for God if you have a lot of bitterness in your life. And it starts with anger that goes unresolved because you're not willing to forgive somebody. It turns into a grudge. It can turn into bitterness. And before the end of the, before the end of your life, if you don't deal with this, it also can turn into a deal breaker between you and God. Wait a second, Pastor. Me having anger and unforgiveness toward people can turn into a deal breaker between me and God. Some people will disagree with me. That's fine, because if you disagree with me on this, I'm just going to say this bluntly. You're going to disagree with Scripture by the end of the day. Because what I'm getting ready to talk about is straight out of the Word of God. But Jesus flat out said, if you can't forgive, everybody say forgive. If you can't forgive your brother, his trespasses against you. He said, my, you, my Father in heaven can't forgive your trespasses against him. What does that mean? That means if you are operating in unforgiveness toward humanity, you're tying the hands of God toward you. Do not believe for two seconds that your horizontal relationships do not affect your vertical relationship. You cannot love God and hate his people. You cannot love God and hate his children. Your horizontal relationships always, always, always impact your vertical relationships. And I would also say this. If you would say that you love God but don't love people, I would question how well your horizontal or your vertical relationship is going anyways. Because it's impossible to come into the presence of a loving, holy God and come out of his presence hating people. It's just impossible to do. It's impossible to do because God is, he's love. And so I want to talk to you about dealing with anger. Now, we got to talk about where does anger come from because some people think anger is situational. You know, I got cut off. Uh, I, I got cut off on the drive over here and I, I, I followed somebody to their home and gave them, you know, you know gave them my, my mind. I did not. I'm, you, some of you are like, pastor. Uh, some, of us, some of us, anger anger is situational in the car. We, we, get, we get road, we call it road rage. Uh, my daddy used to get that, didn't you? I, yeah, you remember 71 when they threw out the mustard and ketchup packets and you followed them? And I remember I was in the car. Mom was screaming. I was scared. We, he, he's looking back there having situational amnesia. I don't know what you're talking about. Mom's sitting back there going, you know, you know. We see, we see people that have road rage, that they are the calmest people in the world. They turn into monsters inside of their car uh, and just, you know, and, and they're kind of funny uh, because they would never pick a fight with somebody outside of their car. Never, ever. They just wouldn't do it because they know they'd get it handed to them. You know what I mean? They just, but they, but, but in that 2000 pound hunk of steel, they suddenly become, uh, they suddenly become Stallone or or uh, uh, Schwarzenegger or something. And there's people that have situational anger, and some of it, that's, that's kind of low-level sort of anger. There's people that have, have workplace anger. They can't stand the way their, their job environment's ran. We have people that are mad about the way their office is ran. You know, it, my office is ran by a bunch of, of, of morons, you know, and, and if they would just do it this way, things would go so much better. And, 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 and I don't know why I, got a, why I didn't get the promotion, this person got 
got the promotion and we have we go we go to work and we're just angry and, and those are low level angers but there are bigger levels of anger that we deal with and I want to I want to tell you this and I read you this story this morning because I want to show you the debt and debtor relationship that is created that causes anger because anger comes from a debt to debtor relationship every single time you've done something to me you owe me and if you don't do what i want you to do i'm angry it's a debt to debtor relationship for some people you've heard them think, say things after their marriage ended like they stole my youth what they're basically saying no be a pastor sometime i lost all my good years to that person they feel like they took your time. They feel like they took your, your, your livelihood. They took your money. And there's a debt-to-debtor relationship. And, and, and the only way that you're ever going to feel rectified in that situation is if they apologize for what they've done. Or we feel like people stole our childhood. I grew up in a bad home. I didn't. But I, I know people that have grown up in a, in a bad home, in a bad environment. And there was abuse in the household. And it, it could have been physical abuse. It could have been mental abuse. It could have been sexual abuse. And, and they stole like you never got the chance to be a kid or maybe or maybe even something so simple as maybe you grew up in a single family home and you had to go work way too soon and help your mom out because there was only one income in the house and you didn't get a chance to be a kid and you feel like somebody stole your childhood or you lost your childhood realistically what that's creating is a debt and debtor relationship somebody took something from you and now you're operating in bitterness and anger all these years later you are affected over here by a debt-to-debtor relationship that was formed back here. Something happened over here that created an inequity in your life and you became an adult and when that was never satisfied, when that was never fixed, you became an angry adult because of something that happened to you as a kid, an inequity that was created and there's a debt-and-debtor relationship that's created and that's in every situation when you're angry. Even in the low-level anger, when you get mad at work, when you get passed over for the job, when you get passed over for the promotion it's because you thought you deserved it and you didn't get it you thought it was yours and somebody else took it and now you're angry even in traffic you got cut off that was your lane you had the right of way and somebody stepped in front of you and took what belonged to you it is a debt to debtor relationship every single time that's where anger comes from it's where it comes from in marriage when somebody doesn't perform in a marriage the way they think they should they're not helping around the house you think it's a natural thing in the marriage you should help cook you should help clean you should help sweep you should help buy the bills or buy the bills you can buy my bills anytime you want to <laughs> You should help pay the bills. You should help work. You feel like if they don't do that, you are giving more to the marriage than they are, and there is a debt to debtor. They owe you this. This is a reasonable expectation. And if they don't, if they don't meet that reasonable expectation, a debt to debtor relationship is created, and there is anger there. Here's the problem. That's where anger comes from, but if you don't deal with it, it becomes grudges and it becomes bitterness and eventually it will impact your very relationship with the king of kings and the lord of lords your horizontal relationships will affect your vertical relationship anger is a real thing and anger is is something that causes unforgiveness to well up. And I caution, man, I hear so many pastors say, well, blasphemy of the Holy Ghost is the only un unforgivable sin. I would submit to you, I would submit to you that through the words of Jesus himself, unforgiveness is an equally large problem. It's an equally large problem. Being able to find forgiveness in your heart for somebody that does not deserve it, has not asked for it, is something that we have to be able to do, and it's difficult to find that sometimes. Many believe that the remedy for anger is payback, and that's, that's how we operate in the flesh sometimes, you know? Some of us in here even think, you know what, I'm not going to pay, I'm not going to repay evil for evil. I believe it's Romans, it's in Romans, Romans 12, Romans 9, 
do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. And we're like, oh, God, I don't want to repay evil with good. I don't, I don't want to do that. Be nice to people who treated me bad. I don't want to do that. So we lean on the second half of that verse where it says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. We're like, let's get on to that part, Lord. Let's get on to the part where we watch these people suffer for what they've done to me. And you're not in you're you're not in rare company. If you read the book of Psalms, David would say things like, Don't blot out their iniquity, hold their guilt against them, don't forgive them for their sins. And I remember the first time I read David writing that stuff, I'm like, this is a guy that's after God's own heart. And he's writing things like, Don't forgive them, don't blot out their transgressions again. This is after God's own heart. I'm like, I like David. I, yeah. And, and pastors preach about David all the time, killing Goliath. He's like a good example of somebody to look to. Like, okay, yeah, God, that's how I'm going to pray for my enemies. Don't you ever forgive them for what they've done to me. I'm just praying David's prayer. It's all I'm doing, Lord. It's all I'm doing. And we get to that side of things where it's like, we, we honestly want Bad things to happen to them because bad things have happened to us and we want payback to happen some way and we feel like the Christian response is, well, I'm just going to trust the Lord to work this thing out. <laughs> I'm going to trust him to repay. I'm going to trust the vengeance to come their way because he's going to send it their way. And we honestly don't, we, 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 we don't try as hard as we should to pray good things over our enemies. Well, pastor, you pray good things over your enemies. <laughs> I'm working out my own soul salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord just like you are. Anger is, it's a difficult thing. We feel like somehow payback will settle that debt. Payback in the sense of getting even with somebody. We, that Even in a monetary system, the word payback means you, there's an inequity between the debt and the debtor, and when you pay me back, you are square with the house. So when anger creates that, that debt and debtor relationship where you owe me, you've hurt me, you've, you've left a void in my life, we feel like payback is the only thing that can create a squareness with the house and can close the gap on that inequity in our life. And, and here's the thing. I, 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 don't think, I don't think settling the imbalance of debt really ever heals our heart. It doesn't really ever heal our heart. So our response to anger can be, can be this, this hard kind of line that we take sometimes. But here's the question. Do you have anger issues? Because some of you are like, well, I'm not really an angry person. Okay, let me ask it a different way. Have you forgiven everybody for everything that they've ever done to you? That was such a good question. It was like, we got chimes. It's like, oh. You know the Lord's in it when you hear chimes after it. Right on time. Have you forgiven everybody for everything that they've ever done to you? Truly forgiven them. Not lip service. Cancel the debt. Remember, the scripture we read in Matthew chapter 18, when the man came to him with a lot of debt, the debt wasn't pushed back. The, 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 the term limits weren't extended. The debt was canceled completely, like how we would like to have our debt canceled. It was canceled completely. Have you canceled the debt for the person that has hurt you the worst. For the person that has broken you the most. See, there's, when, it comes to, when it comes to dealing with anger, there's, there's generally three different groups of people. And, 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 and I'm going to get to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to get out of here. But the first, group believes, the first group of people believes they ought to forgive, but can't seem to muster the courage to do it. And that's okay. I've been there before. We've all, we've all lived there before. We've all been in this place where we're like, well, I know I need to forgive them. I'm just not emotionally in that space yet to forgive them for the things that they've done to me. And I'm working on me right now. And eventually I'm going to be able to forgive them for the things. You know, we've all, we've all been there before. And that's okay. 
We're all growing, okay? So there's this group of people that knows they should, but they haven't done it yet. Like, I, I, I get that in my entire walk with Jesus. Like, those that know the good they ought to do and do it not unto them, it's sin. Like, I'm hurrying up. Like, a lot of us are like, hurry up and wait. You know, that type of thing. I'm going to get to that. Like, your house is in this condition, right? Like, I mean to get to that, but I haven't fixed that yet. Sorry, I'm just picking scabs right there for your marriage. But we... We understand that one. We do. We understand number one. Number two, number two is, is another one. This group of people, and I think this is a hard one. The second group feels like they would be letting the offender off the hook. And for some of us, we even see that word offender, and that word bothers us. The second group of people feel like if we forgive this person, they're not getting the justice they deserve. And we even use words like justice should be served. And I can't forgive them for what they've done. I can't let this go. I can't, I can't forgive. You don't know. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how bad they've hurt me. You don't know what they did to me when I was a kid. I even understand this one. Listen to me. I understand this one from the perspective of children. I have three children. If somebody hurt my kid, this is where I would probably happen to be, be praying through, right here. Because I would feel like, you know what? You don't need to call the cops. Mm-mm. Don't need to. I'm the type, I'm the type, I know this is, this is going to offend some people. I'm the type of guy, like if you read to me what somebody did to a small child, I probably could put... I could probably be the guy that does it. That's not where God wants me to live. We feel this way in our marriages when they, you don't know how bad they broke me. You don't know how, you don't know how many times they cheated. I can't, I can't forgive them for what they've done to me. And will add to this, I can't let them off the hook because I don't want them to leave a trail of wreckage behind them and I'm saving the next person. I'm saving the next woman. I'm saving the next kid. I'm saving the next employee from, from their garbage. And so I'm letting everybody know what they did. I'm telling everybody and I'm not going to forgive them and I'm going to put it all over social media because I'm not going to let them hurt anybody else. You spend so much time worrying about them hurting the next person that you are giving them the authority to continue hurting you they are still so much a part of your life even though you haven't seen them for years and it seems easy for me to say this stuff right but everybody's got a story everybody's got a story to tell as a pastor I've heard people's stories as a pastor I've got my own stories because I'm a human being. I know what some of this feels like at times. I know what being hurt by people feels like. I know what it feels like to feel like you're letting people off easy and feel like they deserve more than that. We're the type of people that cry out that they should have got more prison time. They should have they should have gotten a bigger fine. Worse things should have happened to them or why does good things happen for them? We've lived there before. We've lived there before. I've lived there before. It's a lonely house. It's a really lonely house to live in because the person that offended me doesn't live there. <laughs> I just live there. And you keep carrying around this baggage. You keep carrying around this wound. You keep carrying around this scar. And every, every time you carry around that baggage and every time you carry around that scar, it reminds you of them and they get to keep hurting you and they, keep, they get to keep living inside of that house even though they physically don't live there. They still live with you every single day. And the longer that you carry that around, the more, the more being this type of person becomes a part of your DNA and instead of, it, instead of you dealing with the anger and instead of you dealing with the bitterness and instead of you dealing with some of the hurt and discontent that you have, this actually is where anger becomes or hurt or past pain becomes a part of your identity and you struggle with letting go of the baggage because the baggage actually starts to grow to your hand and it becomes hard to let go because who am I going to be if I'm not the person that got hurt? Who am I going to be if I'm not the broken wife? Who am I, I going to be if I'm not the kid that got hurt? Who am I going to be over here if I'm not the person that was broken over here? 
It is why Jesus asked the man at the pool, do you want to be well? I believe that's a, that's a question he's been asking believers for a very long time. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be whole? Because wholeness is available. Sometimes it's a process and sometimes it's instantaneous. But I can tell you right there, living there, wholeness never comes. It never comes. Anger stays. Bitterness takes hold. Resentment takes hold. You're living in unforgiveness. Even though, even though, even though they probably deserve the way you feel about them. Can I just validate some of you right now? Some of you have had people do things to you in the past that from an earthly perspective, from a way it feels perspective, you have every reason to feel the way that you feel. None of us would disagree with you. If you read off the past hurt and we knew what it was, none of us would disagree with you. All of us would say, Absolutely. What a, what a monster. What a, what a jerk. What an animal. What a, what a, what a horrible boss. What a, what a mean kid on the playground. You know, I, I mean, I got made fun of as a kid on the playground. Got my head slammed into the bus and stuff. And I, I remember all that. Stuff. Like, we understand. We're with you. And as, as a human being, I can understand how you're here. Now, here's the thing. We wouldn't be able to finish there because we'd say also as a Christian, we also understand how can I just say this word? Because it is what it is. How damning staying there is. We also know how much he's able to heal. We also know that, that you're going to get closer to Jesus if you, start, if you stop living there. We also know that healing is going to come if you stop living there. So while we agree with you and while we know that you're justified in feeling that, we also know how much healing can come if you can get past that. And we also know that you would be letting the offender off the hook if you forgave them, but you need to remember that at some point in time, somebody canceled your debt and let you off the hook and gave you a reward for something you didn't deserve. The third group of people claims to have gone through the motions of forgiveness, but those old feelings keep coming back. Josh, would you come? Where are you at? I've said all the right things. I've made the phone calls. I've sent the emails. I had the cup of coffee. But every once in a while, it just creeps back. Yes. Can I just say, if Jesus resurrects our body and our spirits go up to heaven and, and resurrection is a thing, understand the devil is an imitator. He's going to try to resurrect your flesh. He's going to try to take things that you have done and you've gone through. Sometimes you do go through the motions. Sometimes you do things before they feel good. Am I telling the truth, Donna? Sometimes you say, I forgive you before you're all the way there. Because sometimes you're releasing something by saying it. You're speaking it. The process starts. But sometimes it comes back up and you struggle again, you know. And that's, can I, can I just say that's human? We take that old man and we just put him back up on the cross and we crucify him again. And say, no, no, you're not getting down. Uh-uh. I've been crucified with Christ, but yet I live. Not I, but Christ that lives within me. We're, we're not going to let unforgiveness creep back in. It's not happening today. Sometimes you just got to say, not today, Satan, not today. It's a real thing. And so you go through the motions, you do the right things, and the feelings keep coming back. And you deal with the feelings, and you keep speaking life over yourself. And, but then you read something like Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness. All bitter, bitterness. All of it. Every bit of it. Get rid of all rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. We're commanded to get rid of all bitterness, all rage, all anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. The Greek there to get rid of gives us the indication of quickly ripping away or quickly removing. We're supposed to quickly rip that out of our life as fast as we can root it out. Kind of like, I don't know if you've ever done this in your life, been walking through a basement or been walking out in your shed and you walk into a cobweb. You know what I'm saying? How fast you're, because you just know that arachnid is on your face and in your hair. You know that there's things accompanying that spider web, and you just start grabbing and pulling. And you get... The Bible says, in the Greek, essentially, we're supposed to separate ourselves from that as quickly as we can because there's damage that's coming from, from, from keeping that in our life. Okay? Get rid of, remove, separate yourself. 
Paul covers all of his bases. But doesn't this strike you as incredibly insensitive coming from a guy who lived 2,000 years ago and had no idea what's, what's going on in your life right now? Isn't it insensitive for Paul to say, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander? Well, that's all easy to write. You don't understand. You don't understand what's going on in my life, Paul. How dare you write a letter to this church at Ephesus and think I'm supposed to live according to what you told some people 2,000 years ago at some little church in a town called Ephesus? Well, understand this. Paul wrote this letter, this epistle, (laughs) was dictated while he was in a prison cell in Rome. He was arrested unjustly, extradited to Rome, and he was awaiting trial when he wrote this book. He was living that to a T. So, I believe it's lasted that long because when you're living something, it's authoritative. It carries weight. It carries authority with it. So Paul, Paul writes this in the middle of what gives him the authority to write this. And it is possible. It is possible. Anger is just a response to the people and the events around you. You're just reacting. But it becomes deep-seated. And sometimes, sometimes we look at anger and we go, okay, here's the thing, Pastor Aaron. Here's the thing. This is the thing. You don't understand how bad they've hurt me, but you're telling me that I've got to be able to forgive them. Here's the problem. They're no longer with us to forgive. I can't go to that person and, and forgive them. I can't talk to them and I can't write them that letter because they're not even on this side of eternity anymore. And sometimes I, w- I would say to you, some, some, some people are literally haunting your life from the grave. There's people whose lives are being haunted by people that aren't even alive anymore. You're keeping them alive even though they are literally dead. And this isn't to be insensitive. Listen, I believe God came to set you free. I believe he came to set us free. I don't believe he wants us to carry this around. I don't believe he wants us to keep these people alive. There is a way to forgive somebody without them even being on planet Earth. There is a way to get rid of all bitterness, all anger, all rage, all brawling, all slander, every form of malice. There is a way to get rid of it. It is possible, but I would submit to you, it is only possible in the life of a believer. It really is. I, I believe it has to come from God. And, and really, I love this. Forgiveness is best when it becomes a conviction. When you are convicted to be a forgiving person. Sometimes I pray that like, God, I want to, I'll be like, God, I want to lose weight. I respond to convictions. I don't respond to diets. Convict me to lose weight. Because sometimes conviction, have you ever had a conviction like, you just, the conviction helped you. It did help you. Listen, can I just say something? Forgiveness is biblical. It is commanded. It is a conviction. In the life of a believer, we forgive, not just because we want to. We are commanded to forgive. We are commanded to be the most forgiving place on planet Earth. Well, I'm not all the way there yet. That's okay. We're commanded to grow. We're going to grow. Paul keeps going. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. That's Ephesians 4, 31 through 32b. But he goes on. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Now listen to this. Here is the crux of how it's possible. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. What was he telling the church at Ephesus? God has every reason to be bitter towards you. He has every reason to have rage toward you. He has every reason to be angry towards you. He has every reason to speak negatively towards you and to slander you. He has every reason to have malice towards you. There's a long list of highlights in our life that we would not want to be on our highlight reel. If we're being honest, there's a lot of things that we've said. I've said so many things I wish I could unsay, but I can't. I've done things I wish I could undo. And sometimes I would think if I, if I were God, I would say, are you serious right now? I give you air every single day. I create this path and this plan for you. I have good things for you. 
and you literally are drinking that, smoking that, looking at that, talking that way, acting that way, cheating with that person, lying with that person, and, and, and lying on that person. You're stealing, you're, 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 you're crooked, you're... And the answer is, I probably just described all of us in the room with some, one of the words. He has every reason to have judgment toward us, anger toward us, unforgiveness, malice toward us. And Paul tells us the only way that we can forgive people is to realize at some point in time at the foot of the cross that that person that hurt somebody else, that person that didn't deserve to be forgiven, that person that deserved to have the grudge held against them, we were that person. And God was the offended person. And at the foot of the cross, he made a decision that I'm not going to stay angry at you. I'm not going to stay uncompassionate towards you. I'm not going to stay with unforgiveness in my heart towards you. In fact, in fact, not only am I going to forgive you, I'm going to provide the path and I'm going to provide the sacrifice so that forgiveness is possible for every sin that you've ever committed, every sin that you're committing right now and every sin that you're ever going to commit. Anything you ever do wrong toward another person or toward me, I'm going to provide a way for that to be forgiven. And, I, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to fill you with this Holy Spirit so that not only can you receive that forgiveness from me, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be able to pass that forgiveness on. See, that's the culture of the church that I want to have, but it's wildly individualistic because we can't do it good together until we're doing it good separately. And sometimes churches are the source of the biggest hurt and not because something heinous happened but oftentimes because somebody mishandled my pain or somebody didn't wasn't there for me when they should have been there for me or somebody said something mean to me and sometimes we will leave a place we will leave the church we will leave the whole church of Jesus Christ altogether and we will forget that some point in time we knelt at the foot of the cross and it was us that was unworthy of the forgiveness it was us that was unworthy it was us that should have had the malice and the anger and it was us that he said no I'm not going to act that way. I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to let it go. We blow up too easy. We stay angry too long. We carry grudges that were never meant for us. And we will write people off so easy. And yet, the start of the sermon, if your brother offends you, how many times should you forgive them? Seven times? No, seven times 70 you should forgive them. We are commanded by God to be the most caring, compassionate, forgiving group of people on planet Earth. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. As he began, now listen to this through this scope and this lens now because we're done. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him, listen to the debt, 10,000 bags, not pieces, 10,000 bags of gold. The reason Jesus spoke that way in this parable is he wanted us to read this first part and understand that gold was the more precious of the two metals that he's getting ready to use. And the volume of what was owed by the first person was magnified. Right now, silver sells at like $30 per ounce at spot. And it, it vacillates between $15 and $30 an ounce right now, depending on what the economy is doing. Gold is so much more valuable. It can be $1,600, $1,800 an ounce. Same weight, entirely different value. In this part of the story, Jesus uses a vast amount of gold bags of gold gold since he was not able to pay the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he has be sold to repay the debt still probably would have been a debt to debtor relationship still would have been an inequity between what was owed at this the servant fell on his knees before him and I would say this because this is God in the relationship and us in the relationship at this the servant fell on his knees before the cross and he said be patient with me and begged Jesus, I'll pay back everything. And the servant's master, Jesus, took pity on him, canceled, canceled, canceled the debt. Gone. The thing that makes this parable so helpful is that Jesus talks about the topic of forgiveness in terms that everybody can understand. Takes the mystery out of it. Simply put, forgiveness is the decision to cancel debt. Forgiveness is the decision to cancel debt. 
Whenever somebody has hurt you, they have taken something from you, a debt has been incurred. If somebody gossips about you, it amounts to someone taking your good reputation. If a spouse is unfaithful, it robs them of your emotional security and maybe more. Wherever there is hurt, someone has been taken. Something has been taken. There's an imbalance. The master was going to give the man what he deserved to repay his debt. The debt was more than the man could pay, more than he would earn in a lifetime. The master took pity on his servant and he canceled his debt. That's what forgiveness is. Canceling somebody's debt. And then we arrive on the picture. Verse 28 and 29. When the servant went out after he'd been forgiven, he found one of his fellow servants fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow co-workers, family member, whoever it might be, who owed him only a hundred silver coins. A hundred. Ten thousand bags, a hundred. Gold, silver. Much less debt. Much less of a problem. The Bible says he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant uttered some very similar words. Be patient with me and I will pay it back. Now the servant's in the same position as the master was in. And oftentimes as a believer, you will find yourself in the position of Jesus where you have received something from him and he wants to use you to propagate that in the life of somebody else. And that's what happens here. He has been forgiven for what he has done and now he is in the position where he can return the grace that's been given to him. He is owed a much smaller debt, a debt his servant could have come up with. And we would expect this man who had a massive debt forgiven to forgive this smaller debt. Instead, he has the man thrown in prison until he can pay his debt. Now watch what happens. Watch what happens. Verse 31, 32. Remember, Jesus is telling this parable. This isn't some offshoot, some story. This is Jesus talking. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called in the servant. He said, you wicked servant, I canceled, canceled, canceled all that debt of yours. There's the, again, the definition of forgiveness, canceled debt. 32, 33, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? Because you've been forgiven, saint, shouldn't you be able to forgive somebody else? Shouldn't you be able to propagate that? Shouldn't you be able to give grace when somebody else needs it? That's what he's saying. Now here it is. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers until he should pay back all he owed. Listen to me and understand this. Jesus just said, I canceled all your debt, but because you couldn't cancel the debt of what was owed to you, your debt now is back on your shoulders. Oh, we don't like talking like that, Pastor. No, no, no. Jesus cast my sins into a sea of forgetfulness, never to be brought against me again. Never, ever, ever to be brought against me again. Listen, I understand he forgave you, but this is a parable told by Jesus in terms of canceling debt and forgiving people and what he is literally getting at there is no imagery here that's not happening what he's literally getting at matches up with what else he also said because i said this earlier in the sermon and i really am about done that's the third closing i gotta go after three okay third time's a charm what he said what i said that he said at the beginning was if you cannot forgive your your brother's trespasses against you then God can't forgive your trespasses against him. This parable highlights that that scripture, that that conversation Jesus This is the example of that. This is exactly that playing out. What Jesus is essentially saying here is this. You can have your debt revisited back to your house if you can't forgive the debt that is owed to you. You tie the hands of God from operating with grace and freedom in your life if you can't find it in your heart to forgive other people. But pastor, I don't feel like it. Listen, how long are you going to carry this baggage? Come on. Let it break from being a part of your identity. Let it break from being the defining factor of who you are. Listen to me. Don't be the broken little girl. Be the healed woman. 
that God wants you to be. Don't be the, the, the left behind little boy that dad was never there for. Be the father that God wants you to be because you left that over here. Listen to me. Don't be that broken employee that, that's so sick of watching everybody else get blessed. Say, you know what? My blessing comes from the Lord. I'm going to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. God's the one that's going to promote me. God's the one that's going to take care of me. I'm not going to worry about what's going on all around me because he is Jehovah Jireh. He is the one that provides. My cattle, my God owns cattle on a thousand hill. My provision comes from him. It doesn't come from this job. It doesn't come from that boss. It doesn't come from that manager. It doesn't come from that business. It comes from God and God alone. And if God wants me to have it, I'm going to have it. I'm not going to be bitter and angry and carry around grudges and, and malice and anger toward people. Listen to me. How long are you going to carry baggage? And how long are you going to believe that that baggage somehow is going to heal you when in fact it has been the source of your hurt all along? You can't heal cancer by taking cancer. I feel like that was a common sense statement. I feel like I got other people in the crowd going, you can take cancer? What? <laughs> Where do you buy that at? <laughs> Listen. How do I know? How do I know this is what Jesus really meant? See, it wasn't what he said in verse 34. It's what he says there in verse 35. In verse 34, it says, In his anger, his master returned to him to, over to all the jailers until he should pay all of it back. But this is what Jesus, this is kind of the... This is kind of how Jesus kind of puts his parentheses around this. At the end of the parable, this is what he says. I just told you this parable. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now do you see imagery in it? Or is Jesus just saying the story you just heard? That's exactly how it's going to go down when you stand before God. If you can't find it in your heart, to forgive somebody who has broken your heart. I'm not yelling at you to yell at you. Listen to me. We all have a story. Can I just be honest with you as we get ready to go today? I'm going to have you stand to your feet. My wife and I left ministry in 2007. We've been youth pastors in a small town for four years. We had had what I would, what I would consider to be great success in that ministry. We started with five or six kids. We ended up having 80 kids. We had three or 400 kids come through youth ministry. A lot of them got called into ministry. A lot of them are in ministry today. I wept buckets of tears with those kids. I cried with them at the altar. I talked with them about what's going on in their home life and with their parents. I, I, I worked with the church kids. Some of those kids got called into ministry, and God's still using some of those kids today. But when we left that ministry, we were broken because a couple of the parents that we dealt with hurt us so bad, so bad. And my wife did not want to go into ministry. She did not want to go into ministry whatsoever. She's like, if this is what it is, I don't want nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. Because people can be brutal. They really can. Brutal, brutal. And it was a brutal experience for the last year of ministry as a youth pastor. Brutal experience. And some of us in here were like, Pastor, I can't let go of it because it was a brutal experience. Can I just share with you? I was at a pastor's conference at a big church. And the pastor got up and he was talking about Judas betraying Jesus. Judas was able to betray Jesus because Judas was close to Jesus. It took somebody in his inner circle to be able to betray him. And we all know the story that when they came to get Jesus, Judas would indicate which one was Jesus by the kiss on the cheek, right? And we look at that and we go, oh, Judas betrayed Jesus. And I remember the moment that I remember the moment that everything I went through in my prior youth ministry experience made sense. When the pastor said, We look at the kiss as the betrayal. When in reality, the kiss is what propelled him to the cross, which was his destiny. 
And his destiny, that cross, as bad as we look at that, we know from history, we know that cross is why all of us are here. And it was God's purpose. It was God's will to crush him. We know from Isaiah 53, it was God's will to crush him. It was God's will to break him. It was God's will to sacrifice him. It was his God-given purpose in life. That kiss from Judas propelled Jesus into the destiny that God had for him. And when he said that, it was like lightning came over me. All of a sudden, that person, those couple of people, I had spent so much time with their kids. I had spent so much time in ministry loving on their kids. And it was these these couple of families that just betrayed me and let me down so bad. And, and, And I remember thinking... Man, that was the kiss of Judas in my life. And now, all these years later, 15 years later, listen to me. I would have never left that church in that little town. There are three churches now, three fusion churches. 400 people at one. 60, 70 people at, this one, at, at, the, one in, at the one other one in Lexington. Probably 150 people that call this place home. And God, only, I, could only, I could only articulate the other things that have happened in my life. The other financial blessings and other things God's done in my life. And it all came from what I viewed was the worst pain I ever went through in my life. And there was a time, I'm going to say this, and I want to say it this way so that you get how hurt I was. There was a time with those two people that I was so upset at them and so hurt at them that if they had been choking, I wouldn't have given them the Heimlich maneuver. That's how hurt I was. I don't relish in saying that. I feel awful that I say that. But I can tell you this, man, that God might have allowed those people in your life. He might have allowed that hurt. And we don't get the grand scheme of eternity, but God let us go through some stuff. He will. And on the other side of that is so much ministry and so much life and so much vitality. And we don't see it while we're going through it. But God let us go through something because our ministry is going to come out of that and because we're going to help countless people. I think of, I think of people that I've watched over the last 20 years. The, Lim, the Lemon family buried their son Nick because he overdosed on drugs. And now she is the president of the opiate response team for Richland County. She saved so many lives. Even though she lost her son, she saved so many lives because that pain has turned into ministry. Listen to me. Let God do good things with your pain. You've already had the pain in your life. Why let it continue being pain? Let it be power. Let it be anointing. Let it be purpose. Only God can do that, but you have to start. You have to start by letting God in and by finding forgiveness in your heart. I want to pray for you today. And I feel like the response to this, I feel like the response to this is the prayers that you need to pray and then the phone calls that you need to make, the cups of coffee you might have to have, the conversations that you might have to have, or even the, the letter that you need to write to somebody and, and, and light into the fire because they're already gone. But a letter just explaining, you know what, you hurt me, but I'm not going to let that continue to define me. You hurt me, but I'm going to forgive you. You hurt me, and there may still be a chance you're in eternity. And I'm going to believe that you're renewed, that you're a brand new person. <coughs> I want to pray for you to get to that place because God's going to use your pain in ministry. He's going to use it in purpose. And the first moment, the first moment where you're able to help somebody who went through what you, what you went through, you'll look at it and go, God, I, I never thought anything good would ever come out of this. But here it is. But here it is. I want to pray for you today. Father, right now, I thank you that you are a God of multiple, multiple chances, many chances exponential chances you're a multiplier of grace you're a multiplier of forgiveness you're a multiplier of restart and god you want us to be that same sort of person we feel like sometimes lord we learn our lesson and we don't touch fire once we've already been burnt and yet here we are commanded in your word to let people have many opportunities to start over commanded to forgive commanded to give people grace when we feel like they don't deserve it. God, help us to realize and to understand and to fully grasp that you gave us grace when we least expected, at least deserved it. Help us, Father, to walk in this and help us to know what you've done for us, Lord, that we deserve full punishment for what we did. But that's not what happened. It's not what you wanted to have happen. You gave us grace 
where we didn't expect it. You gave us forgiveness when we should have had justice and, 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 and punishment. And that's what you want from us. You want us to be able to let go of the deepest hurt and the deepest pain. And for some of us, it becomes a ministry. For others, it's just baggage that we lay down. <coughs> it's been very hard for some in here to carry your cross because they've been carrying their baggage. And your word says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. God, I ask right now that we would trade yokes. We've been carrying our own weight, and you want us to get in the yoke with you. You want to lead, and you want to plow with us. You want to go through life, leading us and guiding us and directing us, and with your strength, God, tilling up. Father, I ask right now that you would be with each person today, pointed out in their heart the direction that they need to go the things that they need to do and father we will give you the glory and the honor in the mighty and the matchless name of jesus amen and amen god bless you guys we will see you next week if you're heading over to pizza hut we're getting ready to head up and go over there <laughs> we're going over there right now so we'll see you over on claremont avenue